Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Those Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have maybe the most positive Wheeler Dealer Radio on its way in years. I'm very excited. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everyone, follow our Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes because tis the season. Uh, now to get us started, we have, as usual, uh, one of my co-hosts from the Dirty South. It is Ben Daniels. Ben uh, what did you get Spurs for this holiday season? Uh, I got Spurs the Indombellissance this holiday season. <laughs> uh, thanks to my nonstop campaigning, Conte finally gave us what we all wanted and put Tongi and Dumbledore back in the team. So just obnoxious tweeting really bears results. That's what did it. Okay. And uh, joining us as a guest shot this week because Brian is uh, on the slopes of some hotel in the middle of the south. I don't know where. Uh, we have Ryan Rosenblatt. Ryan, welcome back to the show. How's it going? Good. What 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 did you get Spurs this holiday season? Uh, I got them some breakfast burritos that I made, uh, and since I started making during matches, we haven't lost. So you're welcome. So you're you're out to undermine the Indombos Indombos Well, who needs that when you have me <laughs> making breakfast burritos? I think that's the point that I have been making. <laughs> Well, I don't think a double needs breakfast burritos, I think, is, is the real issue. I mean, if I'm making breakfast burritos, then it doesn't matter. He can have all the ones he wants. Anyone could do anything they want. I already won. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a <laughs> thrilling match to talk about. Honestly, this is – I think we overlook – we were talking before the show about how long it's been that Spurs have been bad and whether or not it's been that long or just the pandemic is – amplify that length of time i i think there has been a, some fun matches over that stretch of the time but i don't think i i struggle to remember I mean, maybe it's ajax the last spurs match i walked out of feeling as good as i did from this liverpool match i mean it was probably a conte match if i'm if i really sit down and think about it but it was i mean ben you're our negative nelly on this podcast i mean it's I, I, obviously, there are things to nitpick, but I, this was a stunningly good performance out of Spurs against, even accounting for the COVID absences, a very good Liverpool team. I, I was, I didn't think it was impossible that we wouldn't maybe get something out of this game. I didn't expect us to look this good. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's shocking to come out of this with a 2-2 draw against one of the best teams in the world and feel hard done by you know, I mean, we beat the crap out of them. And I thought we would be better than I think a lot of people were really doom-mongering before the game, given the absences and seeing guys like Ndombele and Deli and Winks in the team. Um, but, I mean, they were probably the standout players. And I it, it was just remarkable to see everybody be so good um, at everything except finishing which is the one thing we've been good at <laughs> over this terrible two-year period. Uh, but all of that aside, like, yeah, what a day. 
I, I, Ryan, I think the last time you were on the show, we talked about, like, what a difference Conte could make in, like, three days. Like, what a difference Conte could make in, I mean, depending on how you look at it, either two weeks without a game or, like, a month and a half. Because, I mean, Ben said it. Like, Liverpool are one of the best teams in the world. And as much as they were missing a couple key players, I think what was notable to this game, to me, wasn't just that we looked good, but we out. I, I think they, I think he outcoached Klopp. I think he ran circles around Klopp in this game. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a huge part of it. It's like, and, and it's not like Klopp did something and like got something obviously wrong. It's not like, ah, yeah, he, he outcoached him because Klopp made a rare mistake. Like, no, they, they came out and played the way they normally played and they made a few adjustments for us. And then Conte just came up with a better tactical approach and he put the right players in the right places to take advantage of those tactical choices he made. Like th- this, there wasn't like some wild thing out there where Conte was like, we're going to play with this weird false nine or like, we're going to invert our wing back. Like it wasn't a weird thing. Conte is just like, we have a system. We are going to make certain choices within that system to exploit some of the weaknesses that Liverpool has, like just going in behind um, Trent, like all match and just like, crushing them down the left side and like things like that. And Conte is just like, we're going to take our system, which we are learning and now have a real plan. And then we're going to emphasize things that are going to work against this opponent. And it worked. And it's like, it's, it's this kind of constant thing that I keep having where I'm not sure how much of us looking good is the fact that um, we have an actual plan for the first time in a long time, like just base level competency and how much of it is that Conte is an elite manager and is like elevating us beyond the competency. Um, It's definitely a combination of both. And this is another match where I'm like, there's an element of Conte is really good. And there's an element of, we just got the basics right. And like, when you put those together, you're like, Oh, we don't have to do something super special or weird or just like completely surprise Liverpool. We're just like, here's how we play. We're going to adjust it to our opponent. And then we are going to beat the brakes off of you. But, I mean, again, he's doing that against Liverpool, which, like, most of our good matches, we're changing the way we play entirely. And, like you said, we're more or less doing the same thing we've been doing. And yeah, we... like, that's what that's what makes it amazing, is we're just like, he's just like, no, we're going to we're gonna change, we're going to make adjustments to our opponent and play our way, and then just whoop you. But he didn't just do that, he did it with Winks, who, like, I don't think even his biggest stand, his thought has been good for years. Listen, I, I have been singing the Winks praises for <laughs> Yeah, Winks Dealer Radio has been on this train for a while. I think you might be the only person in the world who hates Harry Winks more than me, Ryan. Like, Windy, so, Windy's kind of given up. Windy kind of gave up on Winks as, as a Spurs player. I mean, it's just, I, I, they're, watching this game, I was like, was Pochettino a bad manager? I mean, like, was this player here all along? Like, I mean... He got Delhi playing well, which is not the same feat, but Delhi hasn't played well in a ver- for whatever reason in a very long time at this point. And I mean, like the con- the concept of Harry Winks is like, listen, he's never going to be a great tackler, and he's pretty much just going to try hard and not do a lot. But like his passing is going to make it all worth it. Except it never did until Sunday when like all of a sudden he's like, oh, I got you with this forty yard diagonal. I'm like, what? The- what? The- where has this pass been for five years? <laughs> No, just he saw him do it in training. A guy to say, "Wait, wait, hold on, can you do that in a game?" <laughs> like, like it, it's, it's, it's like it's ridiculous to say because obviously someone must have told him this before. But did Conte literally just go to him and be like, "You know, you're allowed to pass the ball forward, right?" And then all of a sudden, it worked. 
Well, it was a version of what he's kind of been doing all year, which is this, in terms of like how he's been using our players, which is, you know, accentuate the positives and minimize the negatives. Like if they can't go forward, if they can't track back or don't ask them to do these things or ask them to do that as, as little as possible. And he did it with all, he like remembered, oh, well, Delhi like is good moving upfield and breaking lines and doing this stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. And that this happened, like, I think the week after pretty clearly either Spurs or Delhi's agents brief reporters that Delhi was on his way out this transfer window is kind of incredible. And if he can get Delhi doing this against Liverpool, I kind of hope Delhi doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. Like, it also just makes me feel better in both those cases because after the match, like, Conte was, like, said pretty straightforward things that I think anyone who has watched Tottenham for years knows. But he was just like, well, with Delhi, he he's able to kind of play between the midfield and the forward line and go back and forth and be very active in those spaces. And so, like, this was a match to use that. And you're just in there like, yeah, no shit. Like, <laughs> that is what he's always been good at. It's wild to see a manager just understand the basics of who a player is. And then, like, use him for that. And same thing with Winks. He's like, well, in matches like this, when we have three midfielders, um, Winks can kind of play a role of a passer there. And then, like, you just add the forward passing. And you're like, holy crap. Our manager is able to see what our players can do. And it's like, it feels like this really basic and, like, reductive and almost, like, demeaning thing to say. But it is also kind of the most important thing a manager does and very refreshing. And then it just makes me feel better and not insane when he just says those basic things after the game, because he's very smart at football and I'm stupid at most things. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things I think we were excited about when Conte came in was that, you know, he's not a tactical ideologue. He's not going to try and jam players into, you know, a certain system to fit. He's going to be able to, see the players and like come up with something that works for all of them. And it was one thing to say that and have those conversations. And it's another thing to see it be put into practice, like so quickly and so completely like Ben Davis is a guy who looked like he was ready to be taken out behind the woodshed and has been one of our best players in the last month. Ben's looked like that for like (laughs) years. Like that's not even a recent development like Delhi. Like he looked that way under latter era Pochettino. Yeah, and it was just like to see him see this guy and be like, okay, you're good at this. Here's the spot to put you in to succeed. And to do that with literally everybody on the pitch uh, is just, like you said, Ryan, like it shouldn't be so astounding, but like it's fucking mind blowing. Well, I I don't want to, I want to stay on um, other Ben for a second because I think the thing that, I mean, he's obviously been impressive for a while now at Spurs under Conte. But the thing I was kind of waiting for is like, okay, is he just a bit of a flat-track bully, and is he going to be able to do this against better teams? He looked great against Liverpool. I mean, I did not think he was a, he was a liability or more of a liability than anyone else out there. I, I'm very impressed with his team right now, and I'm very I mean, between, impressed with him. Between Ben Davis and Ryan Sessegnon, who, like, again, six months ago you would not have put money on keeping Mohamed Salah quiet for 90 minutes when he is – you know, maybe the best player in the world, definitely the best player in the league right now. And like, he got nothing out of them. And that's just, that's just, I'm going to say astounding again, but I'm astounded. Well, and Sessegnon, let's also take a minute to appreciate, Sessegnon had about as bad a debut performance under Conte as you could possibly have. 
and he didn't get exiled to the bench or treated like a weirdo. Like, we didn't have any of this psychodrama that we got so used to under Mourinho, and even to a lesser extent under Nuno. He just was like, back in the team, let's see what you can do. And maybe that's partly a product of COVID and injury, but the point is we didn't play weird mind games with it. We just persisted, and it worked out really well. Yeah, I mean, it's also... I mean, like we say, like, just the very basics of, like, hey, this is what you're good at. We're going to have you do that. And it's it's just so stark compared to even if you go back to the year that we made the Champions League final where, like, it all fell apart for the most part in that entire spring because, like, our weak links got exposed. Like, Sissoko had his clear issues. Winks had his clear – like, you go up and down. Like, Surge had his issues, and, like, it – really highlighted the fact that the sport it can be such a weak link sport where it doesn't matter how good your players are if you have weak links out there they will sink you no matter what i mean even go before that like we had that issue with ben davies against juventus like it is such a weak link sport and conte has made such a big difference not by making our great players great or doing something weird like i said but he is truly just masking the deficiencies of the squad in ways where like the weak links aren't there and you take away the weak links and all of a sudden this like you're like oh this exact same team is not bad anymore because it is a weak link sport and he's just kind of like i'm gonna start all of this by just erasing those weak links and like that's the biggest difference where he's like here's delhi's deficiencies not gonna matter here's like ben davies his problem is like he just can't run or do very much physical but he's good at the other things. Great. Let's cover his ability to have to do physical things. Weak link God. And he's just kind of done that up and down the squad where you're just like, it feels basic, but that's really all he's doing is eliminating weak links. And he's doing it with players that have clear deficiencies, which is just really to steal it from Ben astounding. So I want to talk yeah. about another Spurs player who, uh, which is Harry Kane, who did a lot. I thought to warm his way back. Yeah. Uh, you know, with no legs, he scored a goal. his way back into our <laughs> Yeah, <lives>. namely <laughs> crippling tackles on opposing players, namely Liverpool players. I mean, Ben, let's be honest. If he keeps that up, I mean, you're going to start to love him again, right? I mean, the goals thing is not a nice thing. But really what I want out of Harry is crippling tackles on, like, fairly loathsome players on the other team. I mean, look, we've already seen him evolve from a striker to a number 10. If he can suddenly <laughs> become you know, a bash brother out there, just like putting reducers on guys. Like, yeah, he is the most well-rounded forward in the world at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we're very lucky. He didn't get sent off. Like the refereeing was very poor uh, over the course of the match and it could have gone a lot of different ways. Uh, but having not gotten sent off, it was very funny. It was a very strange match in that regard because I think Spurs were actually benefiting from a lot of the decisions until they, I mean, they didn't call a penalty when Delhi had that chance in the box. So it was clearly a handball. And then I think after uh, Robertson got sent off for clearly a red card, I think that the referee was just like not going, unless like a Liverpool player pulled out a gun on the pitch he was not going to do anything else to help Spurs out for the rest of that game. I feel like that really, I think that honestly gives Tierney too much credit. Like, I think he was just really, Wrong really Scottish. bad. Oh. No, no, no. The, the, ref the, the referee Tierney was like, 
I think he was just really bad. And like some of those calls went for us and some of them went against us because he sucked. Like he, I don't think like he had a conscious thing where he's like, well, like, listen, I sent the guy off and I probably maybe should have sent this guy off and I didn't. So now we have to, he just sucked. Like he had a really bad match. Like <laughs> I think it's really that simple. He was really bad at his job on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, there were three penalties, two red cards, <laughs> a handball in the buildup to a goal, partridge in a pear tree, second yellows, and just like just nothing happened. Yeah, but then like, and then he called like three other fouls when like there wasn't any contact, and then he like there was one play where I was watching him and he like like waved to play on, and it's the only reason I noticed him, or I probably wouldn't have noticed him, but he's waving to play on, and he's like thirty yards probably behind where he should be. Like, if you told me he was drunk and winded, it would explain a lot. But getting back to Kane, <laughs> finishing was our problem that day, but I think what was astounding about this match is like we were creating lots of good chances. And it's got to make you feel good about this attack in the future because I think if there's one, like you said earlier, Ben, like if there's one thing this team was actually able to do well the last few years, it was finish. And, I mean, Sun and Kane have looked really rusty this year, but I... I I mean, you know, you got to think if the team's going to keep producing at this rate, and if they do it against Liverpool, I got to imagine they can do it against other teams. Like, they're going to figure this out sooner or later. Yeah, certainly, and I think you know, getting a guy like Delhi into the team, if if that can stick, is going to be a huge boon to us because it takes a lot of pressure off of the two of them in terms of getting in the box and getting shots. You know, Lucas has been good under Conte, I will reluctantly admit, but. You know, he is just not a guy who gives you a lot off the ball. He's not a great outlet. He's not a great option in the box. He's not, you know, combining well with his teammates in and around the box. He's not getting a ton of shots. And, like, Delhi at his best does all of that. And when you suddenly have a third guy in the attack who can contribute to things in front of goal, um, it'll take a lot of pressure off of Kane and Son and give them a lot of space, you know, to to do their thing. Um when, you know, before when we've had Kane, you know, as that number 10 who's having to feed the sun, it, it makes us really easy to defend. We become really one-dimensional. Um, and, and, you know, I think we saw against Liverpool, we had a lot of dimensions. You know, we had a lot of ways to move the ball forward, a lot of people we can move the ball to, whether that was Sessegnon posting up on the left or Delhi making runs in behind. You know, you had Ndombele and Winks all spraying passes forward, like, our attack was just very dynamic. And I think the more we can do that, the more it'll benefit the team and it'll benefit Kane and Son in the long run. I mean, I think this was, you were talking about passers. I think that's what, this is the big difference between this and the previous matches. Not that we haven't had good looking attacks in the previous matches, but having Ndombele there, I thought made such a difference. And I can't wait till we get a guy like Lo involved in this attack and having, you know, it just, it's God, it's just looking so good right now. We, we're going to win the league, guys. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, though, is like, it, and like, this isn't to take anything away from Tongi's like perfect pass to set up the first goal, but like, with the after that, he didn't get involved. Like, he just didn't have very many passes, period. And like, I think that's an issue where like you look at what how he played and he played really well. Um, when he did things, he just didn't do enough things. And that's a problem. Um, but I think that like, this is where we have to go back to the guy who I have always believed in Harry Winks, like Harry Winks is the passer who made things work. 
somehow. Like he's the one who broke things down because Tongi had a great start. He he should have had a first assist. He he then actually got the assist that he deserved. And that was about it from for him from there. Like for after that, it was pretty much he occasionally sprayed the ball out to Royale to hit a bad cross. Like that that was it. But like it kept moving because you just had Winks doing it. And then also you have that great chance um that Harry missed on the cross from Delhi because Dyer has a great long pass. And I mean, I think that's also part of it is I mean, kind of going back to Ben's point too, is back when we were very good, a huge part of it was Delhi because like Sun can create chances and Kane can create chances, but you need a third guy who can who can get shots. And that used to be Delhi, and we never really replaced that. And it, you can look at Lucas, and he can do some stuff, or Bergwijn can do some stuff, or Lamella could do some stuff. And we've had all these wingers who are useful players, but none of them got shots. Delhi has always been the third guy who can get shots. So if he's back to doing that, that fixes a lot. And similarly, going back, you look at that dire pass. I mean, that's what Toby used to do for us. You, you need to have someone who can pass from the back. And we were hoping that would be Romero. And hopefully he gets fit and can be that guy. And, and But, like, I think this is a match where you look at kind of, even though we did it in very different ways than we did it back in the Pochettino days, kind of the things that have been missing in the last few years, including Pochettino's last year to a degree, is you need the third guy who can get shots and you need some passing out of the back. And I think we saw both of those things on Sunday for the first time in a long time. And I think that's why you saw us getting chance after chance after chance. I mean, I gotta say in the first in Tottenham sort of like first team, like just stall, I don't know the, the guys who were hovering around the first team. I mean, after Conte, I mean, I'm sure we can upgrade in other positions, but the only guy who I'm looking at, who I really just want out of that group entirely. Like I would like Lucas to start less, but you know, I think Conte's demonstrated he can get something out of Lucas is Sanchez who even Sanchez had his moments, but like, I mean, he's the only guy that I'm just sort of like, okay, get him out of here now. And which might now that sort of Davies and Dyer have demonstrated the strength that might just happen when Romero comes back. Uh, but uh, man, I don't know. I mean, we're just looking really good right now. And it's so <laughs> It's it's so satisfying after the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, like really... there there are definitely places to upgrade. Um, like, and you can do depth, and you can talk about any number of things. They're like, yeah, I would like to have a backup striker, or I would like to have a winger who can get shots or anything like that. I'm not entirely sure that Royale is going to be able to make it work as a wing back. Um, I think he may end up having to kind of play on the right side of the three. And I don't know if that works with Davies and then you might whatever. But like, yeah, to your point, like we're we're a center back away from it. Minimum, I to my mind, being the favorites for fourth. I mean, that to me is by like a lot. By I, like a lot. I, I think I think that center back is the move to make in the January transfer window because that's the problem you can solve yeah. um, very easily. I, th- I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly who I would go out and get, but I, I would imagine there is a steady hand you can go out and find in January, whereas like. I think the other stuff is a little more complicated. Yeah, I mean, if you go, I mean, if we go get a not even a great center back, let's just say like a six point five or seven out of ten center back, just like a good above average, not star center back, like, like is a Joe there Roden. Any, yeah, <laughs> is there any doubt in your mind that like we are the favorites for fourth? Then, like, it feels like locked into me, which is like a very weird thing to say. It's a it's a level of confidence that I'm not comfortable with, but I also can't talk myself out of it. I mean, you look at the I mean, table. Like we, it's it's not. Yeah, bang. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, obviously I'm mentally counting all of those games in hands as as three points. Um, and so when <laughs> thought, we win them, I thought because it was you, you were gonna say I'm counting them all as losses. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Until we play them, like the morning of, they're a loss. But like now, <laughs> yeah, we got nine points in the bag. You know, I mean, so counting them all as wins, <laughs> um, you know, we're we're comfortably in in the top four. Um, and given where we started this season, that's just ludicrous. You know, I think if we had had Conte all season, I, it doesn't feel like we'd even have a conversation about whether we could finish top four or not. And the fact that even now, after the, you know, 10, 12 games of disaster under Nuno, we still feel like favorites to, for fourth is just, is really surreal. But I, yeah, I mean, why why wouldn't we be favorites for fourth? Well, you, you look at, mean, who are you competing you, with? You know what the, You're competing with I'm Manchester saying, United. Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. I was going to say, you know, with those nine points in, head, in hand, we're only um, nine points off the title, and we're going to really rue those drop two points against Liverpool because I think those are going to do our title run. But I mean, yeah. we're competing against United, who are kind of like an expensive island of misfit toys. And I don't, maybe I should be more afraid of them than I am, but I think even a guy like Ragnick's going to have a hard time sort of hammering that together. Uh, Arsenal feel a lot like we did under Mourinho and. I guess Mourinho, like where it feels like they're kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors. This doesn't feel sustainable to me. Maybe I'm being naive or hoping on something there. But I mean, Leicester is not in the race. So it's, it's, I mean, West Ham has the feeling like they're teetering on a little bit of decline in form. I don't know. With, with, the, with how good we look already, I'm feeling extremely good about our top four chances, which is probably a dangerous thing to say. But the thing that makes me feel the most good is. You know, a week ago, we had seen Conte roll out the same lineup week after week, and it was feeling like, okay, he's got his 11 guys. He's going to make that work. We don't know how he feels about everybody else. We don't know if they're going to fit into his, you know, the way he's getting us playing. Um, And seeing us not just play well with, like, three replacement players in midfield, but, like, have maybe the best game under Conte's tenure – um, makes me feel a lot better about not just the quality of our depth, but like the way he can use our depth because we have guys like Romero coming back who is just going to make us better than Davinson Sanchez. Like, I don't think there's any question in any of our minds that that's going to be an improvement. You know, we, we've been dreaming on Indomalee and Lo Celso for years, but like if he can get anything out of these guys, you know, if he can get Delia playing like this again, it's suddenly like I was thinking we were in a good shape for top four before all of that. And that was just like stuff to dream on. But now those dreams are feeling a lot more concrete in terms of what, what our team looks like, you know, over the rest of the season. And I I mean, that had me super excited. Yeah. I mean, I I think a part of it too is like the fix, like you look at the fixture list and you're like, like, Okay, fine. Like nothing there is too much of a problem in the second half of the season. We get West Ham at home. We get Arsenal at home. We have to go away to United. But of if we're looking at if we're going to call this a a four team race for for fourth, like of our three matches there that matter, two of them are at home. The other one is like like you. I I'm not. If United go and spend a lot of money in January, then we have a problem. But like maybe after that. 
Like they, maybe they might, we like they might. No, no, but I mean, like, we might have a problem. We might not have a problem. It's United. Yeah, I, this that's the one area where I think Ragnick is going to make them significantly better than they've been. I and like get to next season, and I could see that being a problem when he gets a summer to do it. I don't know if they're going to go all in in January to try and fix that problem. Um, and then like you look at it, and we don't have to play conference league anymore, and. Like that, like that makes me feel so much better knowing that, like we, like I mean, we can sit here and talk about, it, and like we did about how, like we really like our eleven. You just need a center back. We do have some issues with depth if it gets there, and you fall out of the conference league like we did, and all of a sudden, like that depth might not matter that much. So that makes me feel like that. It almost takes care. Like truly, go get a center back, and I'm out of worries. And that's not a thing that happens at Tottenham. Look at what we did with two weeks to prepare for Liverpool. I mean, I understand that, like, there's going to be FA Cup matches and hopefully League Cup matches and, you know, made-up games that we've got to play. But look at what we did with two weeks. I mean, that's just, you get rid of the Conference League. That's more time for Conte to drill his guys and get this team in fighting shape. And we've seen what he's done already. I mean, it's incredibly exciting to think. I mean, look. I think if Conte had come here in July, I think we probably would have used the Conference League properly the way that we all sort of envisioned it. Like, okay, he's going to blood the use. He's going to use it to instill some concepts. And it would have been a fine trophy to sort of win, but it was always going to be, like, a joke trophy. So, whatever. I'd rather have the extra training time now that we've brought Conte in. I, I see no negatives to going out of the stupid competition. No, and then, like, now you look at it and you're like, what would even before the season, like let's go before the season even starts. And you're like, what would make this a successful season? You probably say you have to either win a trophy or finish top four. Do one of those two things, successful season. You tell me right now, do you think the odds are that we have a successful, do one of those two things or we don't do one of those two things. Like I'm throwing so much money down on, we're going to do one of those two things. Like it's astounding to think that our season was garbage for the first, however many months. And yet, I'm ready now to just throw all the money down on. We're going to either win a trophy or finish top four. Well, the funny thing is, Daniel, like the one big plus about Daniel Levy is like he's going to push that eject button. He's not going to like he's. I, I guess he rode or died with Mourinho for longer than he's done it with anyone. But like even that, he didn't ride it all the way to the end. Like I mean, he's not going to. Like, he's gotten enough shitty planes, he knows when to jump. Yeah, he, he, he is he is not going to follow it to its bitter conclusion. And as a result, we I mean, I think I was talking to you about this, Ben, or I was talking to someone about this, but like imagine if we were you know if we just hung on as long as United hung on. Like I mean, you know, we clearly waited until Conte was certain that United wasn't gonna hire him, and as soon as he was knew that and he was ready to jump, we just did it. And you know, I mean, Paratici's worth it just for getting Conte here. I'll put up with all sorts of financial irregularities if that's what it took to get him here. Yeah, and he might be in jail soon anyway. Or or not, he might be. Might maybe he'll be a maybe he'll be a. Uh, I mean, does does England have an extradition law with Italy anymore? They're not in the EU. Like, he could be like Joe Lewis will love him. He's like, oh, you can't go back to the country you're from. Like, welcome to Tottenham. Like, come on. <laughs> Let's go break some Qatari day laborers in here while we're at it. Like, come on, let's keep it going. Jeez. Tax Haven Hotspur, baby. Come on. Really scraping the bottom of the barrel to try and be uh, mad about Tottenham today. There, it's, I don't, I don't <laughs> understand how anyone could. I, it's weird because it's a draw. 
We absolutely should have won. We absolutely got screwed out of a win. But, like, after the last two years, after what we did to Liverpool, like, I don't understand how you just don't come out of that match glowing as a Tottenham fan. I mean, we looked so good against such a good team. I mean, is there anything better than, like, and I admittedly Nuno did this to Pep earlier this year, but, like, when Pep and Klopp, like, fill their diaper after a match. I mean, there isn't anything better in world football. Like, you know, I, I mean, I love, I mean, I, I've been saying this for you. Klopp is just like, he's like fuzzy Mourinho. Like, all, he, when things don't go his way, he's just as big a shithead as Mourinho. And he was doing it again after the match. After a match where one of his players, like, tried to kill a dude, you know. <laughs> uh, he lost his shit so much, he forgot how COVID worked and started complaining about hand sanitizer. Like, he was just, like, the maddest piss baby. It was, it was pathetic. Uh, it was great. I, I I tweeted this, but I want to say it again here. It has been a really long time since I've felt sad about Spurs and not because of Spurs. <laughs> like to like get to feel like sad that we didn't win a game we should have won, and not like sad at my life and mad at everybody. You know, like is a a weird good feeling, like. It's a feeling I was I forgot I was capable of with this team. You know, I feel like I've been just so so beaten down over the last couple of years. I've not expected good things. Every bad result isn't like a disappointment. It's like Speaking a of, did you get did you get your tattoo removed or something, Ben? <laughs> Cuz you got it right when all this went downhill. So <laughs> Uh, my favorite thing is when Ben tells us his tweets. <laughs> <laughs> That's how he communicates. That's how we all communicate. Well, I don't want to like say it off the cuff like I was just having this thought right now because the evidence is there. No, no, no. But... Tell me some of your other good tweets, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I have no other good tweets, Ryan. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. It's getting, like, so far ahead of myself, it's stupid. But, like, after Sunday... Do you feel like there's anything we can't do? Like I don't, I'm not scared of anybody anymore. You I'm know? not, like, I'm not, I'm not sure we can make up that nine point gap on City to win the league. That that has me a little scared. Well, I'll tell you, and I'm probably, I, I, I'm probably misremembering a little bit of how good it got under Pochettino. But I never felt like under Pochettino, I always felt like when we beat good teams, we kind of caught them with their pants down. Like we had a plan that just sort of like oh, God, they didn't see it coming, and we just beat their brains in. And, again, I'm sure I am forgetting matches, but, like, I don't remember a lot of, like, real tactical slugfests in the way that this game felt like that to me, where, like, Conte was just, like, it felt like we were, like, adjusting and really keeping pace with them in a way that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not trying to slam Pochettino here, but I don't remember that era having games like that. And that's where it would always feel disheartening when we would, like, get to a semifinal of the FA Cup and, like, you know, we would just, like, Conte, for instance, or someone like him would just, like, eat our lunch. And like this just, like, like you said, that, like, everything feels possible after we just, like, outcoached Liverpool for an entire match. And I'm sure we had games that felt this way and were this way under Pochettino, but maybe it's just been so long since I felt this way and it's not just, like, Oh, Mourinho got away with one, or Nuno got away with one. It's just no, we beat the shit out of them, and we should have won the game, and we were a better coach team than than Liverpool. It's it's just it's such an amazing feeling. Anything is possible. Let's let's win the Super League, guys. Come on. I mean, like I'm on I'm on the same page as you, but also not because 
I think I'm like, this feels like anything is possible, but it reminds me of how I felt after some of those Pochettino matches. Like, so I'm thinking like specifically, like I, what was it? The year we finished second when Chelsea won the league, but it was the first match after the new year, like on like probably like the fifth or something like that. And like, we just beat them two nil at home by just like, we just straight about played them. Like we didn't do anything weird. It was like, we just showed up and beat you. And so, like, I remember that match, and I remember we did that to City um, one time, too, on one, I think it was the year they won the league, or one of the years they finished up there with us. And, like, I was having um, similar, like, thoughts as you, um, where I'm just like, yeah, no, like, we just went up against one of the best teams in the league, and, like, we just outplayed them. And, and, like, there was also a year in there where I think we um, drew Liverpool when they were really good, and I came away feeling the same way, where I'm just like, oh, we should have just beat them. Like, why did not why didn't we beat them because we outplayed them and so yeah like i had the same thought kind of except i was remembering specific matches where under pochettino when we were really good i'm like this is what it felt like to literally just be like we didn't do anything fancy we just you know showed up and we're like here's our best and you showed up and you're like here's your best you know minus like the three COVID absences on their side and the three on our side and we're just like all right we beat you at the end bye Ben, you look like you have deep thoughts right now. No, I'm just sort of like basking in the glow of it. Like, yeah, you know, like if I, you want to get into it, like their COVID absences were probably more significant than ours. They had to play a 17-year-old in midfield. That isn't ideal, you know. Yeah, but I we think... played Harry Winks. <laughs> it's true. Um, he looks like a 17-year-old still. So, uh, you know, being without Vandervar or Vandervar, <laughs> Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is a big miss because he was not good, but whatever. Like, but whatever. Like, Klopp knew what his team looked like. You fucking adjust better, bitch. Well, like, <laughs> how often does, do things just go Liverpool? I mean, even in this game, they had a horseshoe up their ass. And I mean, the fact that, like, the whole narrative after the game is about, like, did Harry Kane go into a tackle too hard and not Andy Robertson trying to, like, break Royale's leg, which is. Maybe one of the nastier red cards I've seen in a minute. Um, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like all of England has Liverpool brain. Like, they're just the worst team, and I hate them so much. Well, I mean, it, like, it comes down to, like, it's it's just the fact that, like, it, everyone was stuck. And we're like, yeah, like, Harry Kane should have got a red card. Like, that's, I'm like, okay, we're, de- like, we were lucky that we did not go down a man early on. But then, like, the rest of the match still did happen. And, like, we outplayed them by a lot. And, like, both of those things can be true. And, like, that's where I kind of got – I'm just like, you, you can talk about more than one thing. Like, I, I – no, and the thing that made the whole Harry Kane discourse so maddening is, like, there wasn't a lot to talk about because I didn't see anyone say, no, that should never be a red card. Every, they're like, should this have been a red card? Yes. Okay, the discussion is literally over now. <laughs> like, that's, that's all there was. And then you go and talk about the rest of the match, and the rest of the match you're like – yeah, Tottenham just beat the brakes off of Liverpool, and that's and like it, we didn't, and we actually played worse after their red card. And so, like at eleven v eleven, we just played a lot better than them. And like, there's only so much you can project out because yeah, like they're gonna have Van Dyke and they they'll have a Thiago or they'll, they'll have some players that they were missing. But um, like Harry Kane also probably makes a couple of those finishes that he didn't make, or like. We we can go on with the players we didn't have too, and so like you just look at it and you're like projecting out forward, like you watch this match and you're like, 
there's only one and I don't like I don't think anyone's gonna watch that match and go like Liverpool's got problems. No one actually thinks Liverpool has problems. Um it's just Liverpool fans think Liverpool match. has problems. <laughs> <laughs> you look at the match and the only two takeaways you have is uh the ref wasn't good at his job and um Tottenham look really good. The worst thing, by the way, just to get this in here, the worst thing about the Harry Kane discourse is this idea that lots of people defend Harry Kane when, like, my experience with the Harry Kane discourse has been the only people who defend Harry Kane are Tottenham fans who are no longer defending Harry Kane. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that doesn't really happen anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's been a scapegoat for England. You know, everybody who isn't a Spurs fan hates him during league play. Yeah, I'm... Harry Kane is not, like, the darling of, of English football. And, and Spurs fans hate him, like, at, at a minimum are, like, kind of just, like, lukewarm on him now, if not outright hostile. Yeah. I mean, you know, keep playing like that, Harry, and that'll go a long way. <laughs> Maybe score a third goal before before <laughs> May, and things will be uh, starting to get forgiven. Yeah, I think, you know, you said it, the, the red card honestly swung things in Liverpool's favor a little bit. <laughs> because, like, before then, they were trying to play against us, and they couldn't do it. And, like, we were beating them at that game. And once they got the red card, they turtled up a bit and stopped playing, stopped coming out of their shell and, and playing against us, really. And, like, we didn't have the opportunities to counter that we did, and, you know, we weren't able to execute the game plan as well because they got scared. And I think if Robertson had stayed on the pitch, we probably are more likely to have won the game than, than what happened. That was, that, that was just such a dirty foul. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there have been other dirty fouls like that this year, but God, that was, I mean, he just wound up and tried to take that leg out. It was. Yeah, it was ugly and malicious and his eyes looked insane. <laughs> like he looked like he was out for blood. It was the dirtiest foul I've seen since the last time Andy Robertson should have got sent off against Tottenham. <laughs> I hate I hate Liverpool so much. They're such a bunch of dirty fucks. I mean, they're they're such self like their fans are so self righteous and they're they like Klopp is just such a sore loser and it's oh I just hate how everyone pretends they're such a warm cuddly team. You know, and, and, you know, I think you really see how neutrals feel about Liverpool when, like, Gerard slipped and everyone just enjoys laughing at them, but... I have I have an acquaintance who's a Liverpool fan who I have not spoken to all season who, after the game, sent me a, like, begrudging good game message followed by a wall of text <laughs> complaining about the refereeing decisions and whatever, and it's... You know, it's cordial, but it's come on, man. It's 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 utterly. Wait, what, did, what did you respond, and why was it not cool story, bro? <laughs> did you just send the 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 the? I'm sorry that happened to you. Or happy? I ain't reading all that. No, I engaged. Oh, I can't. Oh. I can't not argue with somebody. That's true. <laughs> come on. That's true. So I guess the other big story surrounding English football is uh, COVID's back. <laughs> we might be done with COVID, but COVID's not we done with us. We did it first. We did. Again, never forget that. Conte playing chess, not You'll checkers. You'll never sing that. <laughs> Let's get some games for later in the year. We did COVID before it was cool. I, I mean, <laughs> I think Italy did COVID before it was cool. <laughs> no, in England, though. In England, Greg. Okay, stop, okay. stop fucking up my point, Greg. 
But, so the Premier League, as of, and we are recording this for context on Monday night in America, um, December 20th, uh, as of right now, the Premier League has voted to not postpone games. Uh, I'm actually weirdly sympathetic with them. I mean, obviously they should be postponing games, but I think if you were going to postpone games, like, you should be playing again in, like, I don't know, February or March. I don't know if, like, suspending games for a week or two is going to matter all that much, but... They're going to try and get the holiday fixtures in. We'll see how successful they are. Hopefully a bunch of people are super immune now. Yeah, I mean, like, I understand the idea. Like, they should just postpone games for a week or two weeks or whatever. But, yeah, kind of to your point, I'm like, football still exists in a society. Unless society is going to get serious and get this under control. Football can't get under control by, like, unless they're going to full-on do a bubble. Like, that's the only way to pull themselves out of a society. And so, like, or they could just, you know, cancel football for three months. Also, I wouldn't, like, I, I would miss watching Tottenham now that we're good, and that would be a very Tottenham thing to happen is to figure it out and then no, have the season. that would be great for Tottenham. Like, Conte gets to train them, like, in training camp conditions for, like, three months. Are you kidding me? It's a very Tottenham thing that's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, Greg, in the world where they have to shut down the league for three months because everyone has COVID, they're still going to let the teams train together. No, they're going to live. They're going to live at the Tottenham Lodge, and they're just going to train like crazy Italians, like it, who are on like Torino in like nineteen forty like three or something. That's a bad is, year. This uh, is going to be a terrible like new season of the real world. <laughs> I don't know. I think Sergio would be really good on the real world. <laughs> but yeah, like I. I just don't really know what they're supposed to do. Like, okay, they're going to wait a week and then, like, start playing after, on, like, January 1st. Like, guess what? The U.K. is going to be getting a lot of COVID on January 1st. I, like, they're also going to be getting a bunch of COVID on January 15th. Like, I, I don't really... I mean, they're, what they're not, doing is ho- they're hoping this burns out by the end of January, which might like actually maybe, happen. Maybe, so. but, like, it, unless your suggestion is... And, like, this is a royal you. Like, unless your suggestion is put the season on pause until like the COVID rates go way down, which might be the end of January and might be June, which I think is a totally defensible position. Totally fine with that. But like, that seems to be the only like reasonable thing besides, cause like, Oh, you can't do that, Ryan. We've got Winter World Cup next year, and that's already <laughs> fucking the fixture schedule. So there's no chance. Well, right, and that's kind of my point. Is like, unless you want to be like, we're just going to put sport aside and deal with the health crisis, and then sport can come back when we've dealt with the high- cool, like, good suggestion, totally down with that. But absent that, you're kind of just like, well, we're screwed, and we'll do as much football as we can while we're screwed because we're not going to stop being screwed in any foreseeable short-term future or medium-term future or any reliable future whatsoever the real tottenham thing that's going to happen is <laughs> we're going to get like one point out of top four with like eight games in hand over everybody else <laughs> they're going to call the season then and then we're not going to get champions league next year because let's just give it to the teams ahead of us even so though it was it, like clearly within our grasp one of which if this is the most tottenham thing that could happen one of those teams will be west ham yes yeah, certainly <laughs> So I don't think, I mean, I do think they might shut things down if it gets bad, but. Nah. I mean, I, I mean, for I, a week. I truly think they're just going to do rolling match cancellations. I think you're right. And I that's it. Right. And that's it. And like, worst case scenario, um, and this sounds like super crass to say, but I truly feel this is what they've said is worst case scenario, eventually every player gets it. And so then we're fine. And you that's... know, that's what they said in that board meeting. 
because they that's truly how they feel. I mean, that's what we're doing as a society right now. I mean, we're all just hoping this thing is as mild as they're saying, and okay, we'll all get something. Yeah, and, and at some we'll... point, a dozen players have lost their careers because they have permanent lung damage. And you know what? That's their problem because yep, capitalism rules. Yep, it's it's very frustrating. Do you think the Kimmich situation is uh, doing anything for folks who haven't gotten vaxxed yet? Like Maybe. Him, no. Like, I hope it, I hope it does. The season but... with like lung issues because he didn't get vaccinated and got COVID? Or I, I, I really want to talk to the person who was like, the millions of people dead didn't convince me, but Joshua Kimmich having some breathing issues, uh, that is what's going to make me get vaccinated. Well, like, I, you've honestly, never met to that person. You've never I met the son or daughter. Kind of person. Like the people who died are like, they're not, I'm a professional athlete. I'm fit. I'm young. This can't hurt me. This is a thing that kills old people. But seeing like one of their peers like struggle with it. Like it's stupid. I don't think it's not stupid. Oh no, I'm, like, not, I'm not saying you're, I'm not saying that person doesn't exist. I'm just saying I want to talk to that person. I don't know. There's some bars in New York I could take you to when you're back here, Ryan. I'll introduce but, you. Like, I, that's the thing is, I know you're. I know you're right. I know those people exist. I just need to hear from them why mass death didn't convince them. But like that one soccer player who's not feeling great when he does sprints, that's what convinced him. Well, Kimmich, too, has, like, done it to such an extent where you're kind of just like, all right, fuck that guy. Like, you know, like, like he's kept refute. like, I mean, that's not just the guy who got unlucky. That's the guy who was, I mean, he fucked around and found out. It's... It does worry me, though. Like, honestly, that's the one thing that does worry me about, worry me about Tottenham going forward. Because you even look at, like, uh, De Bruyne, and he's talking about how he is still having issues getting his fitness up. And, like, we looked good on Sunday. I don't know which of our players did have COVID, but I'm like, it's going to really suck if it turns around in, two, um, in like, February or March and we're just like, ah, uh, yes, this player who we were counting on will never be the same again. And, and not to conflate, you know, the real health issues with, like, Tottenham and, and ruining the soccer goodness. But, like, looking back on it, I'm just like, Truly, that is the thing that scares me. That's the thing that has me most worried about, like, the rest of this Tottenham season is a bunch of our players got COVID, and I don't know if or how many of them are going to be, like, hurt by it going forward. Well, this is a cheery note to end the show on. <laughs> Let's get back to that real world house. Yeah. <laughs> who's who's uh, Sergio cheating on his uh, influencer girlfriend with? Come on. Just imagine the fights. Like, there are going to be so many fights in that real world, in Spurs Lodge, because, like, someone took a slice of Sergio's ham. <laughs> Brian Heels, just his enforcer, like, roaming around, looking for we're ham gonna thieves. Fi- we're going to finally get the lowdown on uh, Deli and Dyer's friendship. <laughs> we'll see how it's developed. Their, their fractured relationship will, will finally spill forth to the yeah. team. Do you think Sergio is still nursing that ham like Homer Simpson with his giant sub? <laughs> it's just like diseased and rotten and he can't stop eating it. The real and that's problem. why we haven't seen him in so long. He's just sitting in the back of the locker room like, just gnawing on it. Which, which, which Tottenham players are uh, the first ones to do like which two get together to do like the post-episode air uh, podcast together? Sergio. <laughs> just your answer for everything. And Delhi. No, they're the ones. They're the ones. Like Sergio and Delhi. I think Sergio got, and Delhi. They've got influencer brain. They do. They <laughs> do. 
they're gonna be like yeah, after the episode airs we'll we'll do a podcast and talk about it yeah telly's oh. got a lot of dirty laundry to air like you know he's a messy bitch so like skip is gonna be like the one we find out is like a psycho right the one who's just like starting fights not over drama just because he likes to fight people he seems like such a good boy. He looks like a psychopath. <laughs> he looks like the Unabomber if he was he's English. Who like he's just gonna he's gonna lose it and then in the reunion show, like they're gonna be talking about it, and then halfway through the show they're like, and we have a special guest, and Eric Lamel is gonna come out and just give him a giant hug. <laughs> no, but the whole season Skip is like a total psychopath. He's like not engaging in hygiene and all this, and then on the on the reunion show he's like in his suit, and he's like, nicely, he's like, you know, everything's very just so, and it's like, what the, what the hell happened? And yeah, I like how you're really sticking with this, just trying to get one of us to agree with you. It's true because I don't need <laughs> you to agree with me because it's true. That's that's the Christmas miracle. So, I think Skip's What's the probably Christmas a miracle? <laughs> someone agreeing with Greg. Yes, the miracle <laughs> that I'm right. Where Christmas miracle got in the year? That I'm right. That's the Christmas miracle. That would be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the host on that show, and why is it Harry Redknapp? Uh, Harry Redknapp is just doing, like, the uh, bumper commentary from the window of his car. <laughs> He's staying socially distanced during COVID. He's a responsible uh, TV host. Vandervart's the guy who's on his like Twitter or Instagram feed just mad that he wasn't invited despite the fact that he's like 15 years past the point at which he would have been invited no, it's, it, they, they finally get their uh, big night out because they're like celebrating I don't know like Dane Scarlet passing his driver's test and so everybody goes out and they go to some like just really trashy bar to get absolutely obliterated and Vandervart and Ledley King are just already there so this is a ridiculous conversation. We need to have a more realistic conversation. Brian, who is the Tottenham player most likely to be a charter guest on Below Deck? Oh. Well, this is its own episode. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back for the Patreon content whenever we get that set up. Um, it's definitely Eric Dyer. So is he bringing Deli along? Because I think that'll be a really boring episode unless he brings some messy guests along. Well, so I, I think I think Dyer's got the perfect balance of just like he's got enough mess in him or like want to have fun that like he'd be down for, and and like he that like he would watch it and be like oh that's kind of cool and like going on i feel like going on a yacht appeals to him and so it's like all coming together but then like he's definitely um been the faux intellect that i have been where i have thought way too deeply about how below deck works and so specifically going on so specifically going on below deck appeals to me way more than going on a yacht because i have thought about this for way too long and i feel like he really kind of like has all of it and I don't think he's going to have the guests where he's like, I've got these guys here and they're going to do some wild stuff or boring. Like, I think they think they're going to be normal ball out, like play poker at the end of the night while making the stewardess stay up until like 4 a.m. serving them. But like two of them and we don't know which two are just going to end up getting way too drunk. And that's when it goes off the rails. Yeah, the key to a successful below deck charter is not being messy yourself, but having really messy friends. 
So the key is he needs people. The key is we need Eric Dyer on there. We need, like, at least three guys who are going to go on benders. So we're probably talking about Portuguese, like, second divisioners, like, if we're all being honest. And we need Captain Lee running the boat so he can get extremely mad at them. I think that's what needs to happen here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is where... I think this is where Sergio could star. Because um, Sergio would just be so jacked up about being on a yacht. And being on a yacht that's that's on TV. Yeah, yeah. Like, all of it would really appeal to him. And so he, he would... I don't think he would get super messy, but I think he would be the hype man. And that's an important role. And it so I, I think that that would go really well. And then I think that, like, he brings along one teammate, and I can't think of who it is now, but then it's, like, one teammate and then the guy who he just, like, grew up with and has always brought along his whole life. And, like, the one teammate and Dyer's friend from, like, when he was eight years old, those are the two that are just going to get absolutely obliterated and make an ass of themselves. So here's, I think, the best version of this. It's Dyer and Sergio charter the boat. And Sergio brings his old friend from Sevilla with him, uh, Os Campos, who is clearly a serial killer. And <laughs> he brings Eric Lamella with him because they're Argentinian best buds. And somehow this all turns into a murder mystery. Dude, this is, this, this is, this is the really fucked up uh, spinoff of Murder on the Orient Express. Murder I on... know even less about what this show is than I did when we started this conversation. Murder on my Sienna. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the secret of it is, is that, um, like, you go through this entire thing and, like, you've done this whole thing, right? And nobody knows who did it and you're trying to figure it out. And despite all of it, the murderer is Kate. <laughs> And on that, nobody has completely... seen her for two years. She has not stepped foot on the boat for two years, but she's the murderer. Yep. And on this completely impenetrable note, I think it's time to end this podcast. <laughs> Good lord, Ben, do you have any uh, holiday messages for our listeners? I, I guess watch below deck so you can follow what the hell this conversation was. That's what I'm going to be doing. I guess finally, finally, um, you got me. You where, finally got me. Where can people? Where can people find you online? Talking about Below Deck as you sample it. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade U Spurs. Ryan, do you have any uh, holiday messages for our listeners? We're, we're good at football again. I like it. It's good. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? At Bravo TV. There you go. And you can find me Watch talking... what happens. <laughs> you can find me watching what happens live at Skipjack0079. Uh, don't forget to follow our podcast Twitter feed at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And once again, tis the season, so leave us a five-star review on iTunes. For Ryan, for Ben, for our dearly departed other Brian, for Brett Rainbow, and of course for Tottenham Hotspur, and for Big Tony, um, I want to thank him for making our team look good again. I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.